I want to say thank you for joining us here at His Hardline, where every day we always have something going on. We have three shows that we do. We have 1% with Him, where we spend a little time in the Bible, spend a little time with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And every once in a while, we'll mix it up, and we do a show called The EDU Spot. And every Tuesday and Friday, we have what's called a His Hardline discussion, where we talk about some deep topics. Don't forget to join us at www.hishardline.com. I want to say thank you again for joining us. Let's get started. Good evening, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're at in the world. I am Jason, your co-host with God and Jesus Christ at my side as usual. But no, this is not a Bible reading don't worry. That's why we have 1% with him, which, by the way, go check that show out. But this is the EDU spot. This is where you get some of your finest education, where you can learn about true history and about things that actually should be taught in school, but is not. Like, for example, the Field Training Manual 2000-25, which, is, which was released by the War Department back in 1928. And for those of you who probably didn't pay attention in the first 13 parts, it's basically a manual that General Douglas MacArthur studied under and trained some special forces operators on uh, nation building and how to restore a republic from a democracy. And that's what this field training manual does. So, um, yeah, it's very interesting. And FDR wanted this completely wiped off the face of the earth. And fortunately, a few copies survived. And we just so happen to have a copy of a copy in a PDF for, uh, format here. So, and so we are going to be talking about self-preservation. Now, for those of you who are following along, we will be starting on this show because I always have the PDF. If you're looking to, you know, read it along, read along while I go through it. I typically have the. Uh, uh, in the show notes of the previous shows of the link where you can go find it. And so if you're reading along, I'm going to be on page 110 of the PDF, 110. And actually, it is technically considered section, as far as the manual goes, it's actually section 11, but as far as my podcast, it's part, thir- uh, part 14. And so let's get into it. So self-preservation first law of nature possessed at first with a slight intelligence man's reliance was upon his physical powers now though brutal in quality they were necessary for the preservation of life now by the successive steps of groups tribes and small states mankind evolved better means of protection cultivated intelligence, developed habits, customs, and laws, which in a measure abridged the need of physical force. Now, the preservation of life and property. In order to ensure the preservation of life and property, America has written into her constitution absolute guarantees. In no other country is life and property so hedged about with protective laws, all securing the inalienable rights of the individual citizen now the preservation of these rights in a dominant principle of the american philosophy of government it limits that government in writing to certain definite powers and the right is reserved to discharge any and all governmental servants who infringe upon the written will of the people 
Now, by the system of government set up by our Constitution, the people have been able to regulate the agencies of government in control and direct corporations, capital, and labor. Now, mighty as is their power, they must not infringe upon the rights of any private citizen. Neither must the individual citizen infringe upon the rights of another. Now, self-preservation for every citizen is guaranteed by the Constitution and guarded by the Supreme Court of the United States. National defense, the bulwark of self-preservation, that which preserves our rights, has the right to be preserved. Now, the Declaration of Independence was a scrap of paper, in quotes, until made immortal by the blood and sacrifice of our patriotic ancestors. And the suffrage, or the sufferings of Valley Forge, the courage of Washington, the victory of Yorktown, secured American liberties and wrote this great document into the hearts of liberty-loving people. Now, this colony in Massachusetts is ready at all times to spend and be spent in the cause of America. And that was written, that was by Warren, which was a message to Continental Congress. Now, when the Constitution of the United States was adopted, with the exception of the small area along the Atlantic coast, America was a wilderness, and she had a population of approximately 300, uh, excuse me, 3 million people. Is granted, and with unrestricted opportunity, the, col- the colonials and pioneers conquered the wilderness, converting it into a land of fertile fields, greatness, industries, great industries, and contented homes, and self and excuse me, an achievement of little more than a hundred years. Now, freedom is not a gift; it has been bought and paid for in the sacrifices of peace and war. It is laid in long hours of toil, the swing of an axe in the forest, the campfire of a lonely pioneer, the sod house of early settler, the community stockade and the frontier army post. Freedom has traveled a long, hard road. None but the strong and courageous have possessed it, and by none others can it be retained. Preservation of Philosophy of Government Some interpret American liberty as the opportunity to exploit the nation's resources and people by propaganda that aims to destroy American institutions. Under the guise of freedom of speech and press, every possible effort is being made to undermine and destroy the blessings of liberty. The problem of national defense deals not only with the question of elements, but it is also the question of the preservation of that philosophy of government devised by the founders of this republic. Now, preparedness, which is a necessity, now with our growth of population, wealth, and standing among the nations, we have learned that a lack of adequate preparation in time of peace was the most certain way to encourage attack by other nations. The security of the nation has been endangered and lives unnecessarily sacrificed because of insufficient training and an inadequate number of trained officers and soldiers to give instruction or assume command. Wars have begun which would never have been declared had America been prepared. Wars have been prolonged through lack of material and trained men to carry them rapidly forward to a successful issue. Hardships have been suffered by lack of supplies. Our lack of preparedness with its rush of preparation, a personal inadequate trained lack of material or its means of manufacture, plus the immediate danger to national existence, 
not only created all the elements required for hasty and extravagant expenditures of money, but caused the criminal sacrifice of many of our best American cities. The preamble to the Constitution states that one reason for its establishment is to provide for the common defense, assigning that duty is to the federal government. The people, through their representatives in Congress, declare war. The task of carrying on the struggle devolves on the Army and Navy. A million men springing to arms overnight would evidence patriotism, but an army of a million untrained patriots is this advanced day of scientific warfare means annihilation. Now, America is not materialistic. Now, our government, from its inception, has opposed the idea of, uh, excuse me, militaristic america not militaristic not materialistic my apologies our government from its inception has opposed the idea of militarism so determined were the colonials to prevent any possible military dominance that they placed a positive check upon such control by making the constitutional provision that money for maintaining the military establishment could not be appropriate appropriated for a period longer than two years, thereby placing in the hands of each succeeding Congress the power to control through holding the purse strings of the nation. Military training is not militaristic. On the contrary, it is greatly beneficial to the youth of America. It builds men physically, morally, and intellectually, and inculcates obedience, self-control, leadership, and loyalty. America is not imperialistic. The United States has acquired a clear title to every square inch of land, which has been added to that of the original 13 colonies. All territory annexed to the United States since 1803 has been acquired either by treaty or purchase, except Texas and Hawaii, which were admitted to the Union by their own request. In the latter instance, however, $200,000 was paid as a compensation to Lilakalani. Uh, now, destructive, and I apologize, I may have possibly butchered that name. So if you live in uh, Hawaii, my apologies. Now, as far as destructive idealism, the attempt to undermine the nation from within is more serious than the threat of armed forces from without. I'm going to repeat that two more times. The attempt to undermine the nation from within is more serious than the threat of armed forces from without. One more time, class. The attempt to undermine the nation from within is more serious than the threat of armed forces from without. And that's exactly what we have in this nation, is we have a serious domestic threat from within. Can you say FBI, the DOJ, the CIA, Department of Homeland Security, Congress, by and large? I mean, can you say pretty much almost every single institution that we have for the most part? Now, not everybody, but for the most part. Yeah. An impractical and destructive idealism called internationalism is being propagated by certain foreign agitators and is being echoed and re-echoed by many of the nation's intellectuals. 
Its efforts are to combat the spirit of patriotism, to destroy that spirit of nationalism, without which no people can long endure. History teaches that in proportion, as nations lose their sense of nationalism, they become decadent. Having lost their sense of pride in the traditions of their past, of the past, their respect for national standards, their love for country, their spirit of patriotism, the end is near. Pacifism creates a spirit of compromise with the very factors which operate to weaken the American government. It attempts to force the government into pose, possess, uh, into excuse me, it attempts to force the government into poses of internationalism and false altruism, destructive of the real interest of the American people. Pacifism is baneful in its influence. It promotes distrust of country, debases the spirit of nationalism. It is destructive of patriotism, undermines the policy of national defense, cooperates with destructive forces for the overthrow of national ideas and institutions. As Madison once said, experience has taught us that neither the Pacific dispositions of the American people nor the Pacific character of their political institutions can altogether exempt them from the strife, from that strife which appears beyond the ordinary lot of nations to be in, to be incident to the actual pride of the world. And the same faithful monitor demonstrates that a certain degree in preparation for war is not only in, indispensable to avert disasters in the onset, onset, but affords also the best security for the continuance of peace. Now we get into prepared leadership. Now leadership develop in the army as in business. The methods that ensure success in one are applicable to the other. One of the aims of military training is to produce leaders. The more competent they become, the higher the position they are sure to attain. So efficient is the training received by the officers in the regular army that many are invited to resign and accept positions of grave responsibility in the business world. In comparative measure, efficiency and leadership is also developed in enlisted men and students of the Reserve Officers Training Corps and in trainees of citizens' military training camps. Business invariably gives preference to the young man who has had training in military leadership. Many industries provide their employees with 30 days vacation on pay for the purpose of attendance to a summer training camp, knowing that they will return to their employment better equipped, better disciplined, and in every way much more valuable to themselves and their employees. Hence the National Guard. Now, all the wars of the future will include science and machinery. Trained men will be needed to efficiently use these materials for efficient leadership, education, skill, technique, training, and thorough discipline are as necessary as loyalty and willingness to serve. Military police of the United States. Excuse me, military policy of the United States. I cannot read today. My apologies, folks. The military policy of the United States is defensive, not offensive. America will go to war only in defense of the nation, and no other nation need maintain a ship or a soldier as a protection against a war of aggression instituted by the United States. 
America desires no territory belonging to other peoples. She seeks only self-preservation and the privilege of self-determination and peace with all nations on the earth. Now, as Hamilton once said, safety from external danger is the most powerful dictation of national conduct. And also, according to the United States Supreme Court, the genius and character of, the institu of our institutions are peaceful, and the power to declare war was not conferred upon Congress for the purpose of aggression or aggrandizement, aggrandizement but to enable the general government to vindicate by arms, if it should become necessary, its own rights and the rights of its citizens. Now, the State Department. Now, by the means of arbitration and treaties, the State Department endeavors to settle international disputes. It is only after such methods have failed that the United States enters into war to enforce or protect its principles. America has always endeavored to maintain peaceful relations with other nations, yet practically every generation has been compelled to take up arms either in defense of the nation or the principles set forth in her constitution. The attitude of the American government toward other nations is, and this is according to Madison, to cherish peace and free intercourse with all nations having corresponding dispositions, to maintain sincere neutrality toward belligerent nations, to prefer in all cases amicable discussion and reasonable accommodation of differences to a decision of them by an appeal to arms to exclude foreign intrigues and foreign partialities so degrading to all countries and so baneful to free ones. Now, as we get into National Defense Act, the National Defense Act of 1920 amended to include March 4, 1927, and it provides that the Army of the United States shall consist of a regular army and the National Guard while in the service of the United States and the organized reserves, including the Officers Reserve Corps and the Enlisted Reserves Corps, except in time of war or similar emergency when public safety demands it. The number of enlisted men in the regular army shall not exceed 280,000, including the Philippine scouts. Huh. Now, the total authorized number of enlisted men, not included the Philippine scouts, is at present fixed at 125,000. The regular army consists of approximately 118,000 enlisted men and some 11,500 officers. A large part of this force is used for garrison purposes at home and abroad. Those at home spent about eight months of the year in their own training and intensive preparation for the work required for, of them in summer training camps. Now, the regular army also conducts the training of the Reserve Officers Training Corps, the Organized Reserves, and the National Guard. Officers and men of the regular army are qualified to impart physical, mental, and moral training of the highest character. The very nature of their work makes them specialists in their field. No business or profession demands stronger character and ability. No group is more carefully disciplined, and nowhere will be found greater loyalty and honor. 
To train with and serve under the officers and enlisted men of the regular army is to be afforded an opportunity for personal betterment, which any wide awake young American should be eager to accept. Absolutely. Now, as far as the National Guard, the Second Amendment to the Constitution provides that a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Shall not be infringed. I'm going to say that again. Shall not be infringed. You hear that? FBI, CIA, all you other stooges in the corporate government shall not be infringed. And I hate to break it to you. There are many, many, many Americans that are buying more and more guns by the hour. Because we don't trust you. Continuing. Prior to the National Defense Act of 1916, it was left to the states to provide an organized militia adequate in numbers, equipment, and training to police the state in time of a riot or insurrection. It was also to be used by the national government in time of war with a foreign power. Let me reread this for a second. Prior to the National Defense Act of 1916, it was left to the states to provide an organized militia adequate in numbers, equipment, and training to police the state in times of riot or insurrection. It was also to be used by the national government in times of war with a foreign power. What did we listen to the other day? I'm going to pause here for a second. What did we listen to the other day when we were listening to um, Derek Johnson, that former Army veteran who held a certain level of security clearance, top secret clearance? I'm not sure what level, but there was some. And he, one of the sound clips that I played, he was throwing a big fit, and rightfully so, about how Nancy Pelosi was the one that deployed the National Guard. Eh. She has no authority to do that. Only the commander-in-chief can. He can federalize all 50 national, you know, all 50 states, you know, National Guardsmen and women. Why do you think the fences went up around D.C.? And people were wondering, why, why are they putting up fences? Oh, they're scared of us. They're scared of us. No, they were not. We were putting up a border around them. Why? Because, again, the, the, the National Guard's men and women were federalized. And technically, we are at a time of war with a foreign power because D.C. is a foreign land. So when you're at war with a foreign land, what do you typically do? Now, I'm no war expert, but in order to be successful in a sale, for example, you have to isolate the objection that the person you're trying to sell is giving you. So I imagine same principles apply at war. When you're trying to overtake the one you're trying to sell, if you will, right, in war, you have to you have to isolate them. You have to isolate the objection. So you've got to isolate them with what? Borders, walls, fences. Because again, it's a foreign entity. Continuing, now with the addition of small standing army, the forces thus provided were presumed sufficient for national defense. Now under the National Defense Act of 1920, the National Guard in time of peace is under the command of officers appointed by the governor of that particular state. 
and but their training and administration is supervised by the officers of the regular army assigned for that purpose. Now, in time of war, the National Guard, as a component of the Army of the United States, is immediately called into national service. Together with the regular army, it serves as the first line of defense while the reserves forces are being organized and equipped. As Madison once stated, an efficient militia is authorized and contemplated by the Constitution and required by the spirit and safety of free government. Now, as far as organized reserves, now the organized reserves together with the other components of the army from the basis for a complete and immediate mobilization of national defense in any national emergency declared by Congress, each reserve unit is now organized with its officers and a few enlisted specialists. In time of war, these units will assemble at points designated there to be equipped and trained. Every member of the Reserve Officers Training Corps and all graduates of the citizens' military training camps who have qualified for leadership and have been commissioned would be required to report to his proper station on the designated day. Now, President Coolidge once said to expose some men to the perils of the battlefield while others are left to reap large gains from the distress of their country is not in harmony with our ideal of equity. Excuse me, our ideal of equality. I tell you, I can't read today, I swear. Now, preparedness, an agency for peace. The desire for peace is the spirit of America, but that peace must be dynamic, not a, not a peace characterized by weakness of purpose or lack of courage. Now, common defenselessness is in opposition to the spirit of the Constitution. The best guarantee of peace is a physically fit people inspired by the spirit of the Constitution and is strong enough to defend themselves against any foe. True Americans should be prepared to defend our nation against those influences that will not only destroy all patriotic ideals that have been acquired through the years of struggle, but which advocate the overthrow of our government by force. Now, our very freedom allows enemies within to operate with appalling boldness. They have powerful allies in in the persons of those who would abolish all of our defenses, who would have peace at any price. Now, the writings and utterances of the men who laid the foundations upon which posterity has been called to erect the superstructure of this nation continually remind the citizen of the necessity to provide for an adequate defense of the blessings of liberty that to ensure them for future generations, we must be strong enough to protect and defend our country and our institutions from any hostile aggression, whether from within or without. Now, moral qualities essential to self-preservation. The American citizen must emphasize those qualities of character which mark him as truly worthy of the privileges of independence and liberty. His claim to self-respect is sound only as he upholds the self-respect of his fellow citizens. Now, his honor is sacred only as he protects the honor of his country. He values liberty and independence only in so far as he is willing to pay the price for its protection. It takes more than eloquent speeches and hot words to accomplish sublime purpose. It takes risk. It takes sacrifice. It takes the spirit of a Nathan Hale 
who having been sent by General Washington to bring intelligence concerning the British in New York City was captured within the British lines and executed as a spy by order of Sir William Howe, the British commander. His last words were, I only regret that I have but one life to lose for my country. This is the spirit that won our liberties. It takes the same spirit to preserve our liberties. Remember, as it says at the bottom of that Declaration of Independence by those signers, we mutually pledge our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The moral qualities essential to self-preservation are as follows. The will to win, the courage to endure, and the willingness to die. And if you were listening to the 1% show that I did before this, before I came on here, I was making it very abundantly clear that even though I still get riddled with certain anxieties about different things, whether it be about my budget or finances or stupid things like that, right? Just things that are out of my control. I absolutely have no reservations, no fear of death at all. No matter if the enemy is, you know, on top of us and overtaking us or the other way around. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. Sure. Is it going to suck? Am I going to want to die? Nope. But am I going to be willing to and fight with every ounce of, you know, my being? You damn straight I am. I'd rather fight and die on my feet than live on my knees or however that saying goes. I'm not going to live on my knees and, and bow down and kneel to these people. No, I'll die on my feet. Thank you very much. That's my, that's my way of living. I love that. The moral qualities essential to self-preservation in this country are the will to win, the courage to endure, and the willingness to die. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that quote before he ended up dying. The only regret that I only have but one life to lose for my country. Mm. Wow. That is the spirit of a true patriot, Nathan Hale. Mo. And so that is the... Um, let's see, we are at page... 117 right now so actually 118 technically so when we come back next sunday we're going to be talking about the american flag um in this and so um like i said we'll probably i'm seeing i'm trying to see how many more um sections we have here so we got the american flag so that's one the next one is going to be Constitution of the United States of America, okay, and it was edited by Harry Atwood, so um, that'll be another part we'll do, so we'll read probably through that. We'll probably break that up, because that's obviously very long. <laughs> it is very, very long. Yeah, we'll probably break it up in, in a few different pieces, you know, because it talks about the you know the judicial, the executive, the legislative departments. So that'll end of itself will be three, maybe sections, possibly. Um, I don't know. We'll see. Um, so let me just, I'm continuing to scroll down here. Then we got the interstate and federal relations. Let's see. No, that's something different. Let's see. 
I'm just looking here. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Jenna. Just I'm scrolling through the rest of the manual here to see how much we have here. Um, so I anticipate, yeah, and then there's the amendments. I anticipate we'll probably go, hmm, I don't know. It'll probably be three more Sundays, possibly. Two or three more Sundays before we wrap this up. And like I said, we're at page 118. And there's about 155 pages here, so we are almost there. And then we'll continue on, I think, with the fundamental orders of, what is it, 1638? I think is what I was thinking about doing. So, yeah, when we come back next Sunday, we're going to talk about the American flag. That'll be section 12. And so if you're reading along, that'll be page 19 in the PDF file. And, yes, I will include a link for that PDF in case you want to follow along. So next week we'll be talking about the American flag. So... That really is all I have for you today. And uh, I guess until then or the next time, I mean, I really hope that uh, you guys come back and I'll be back here. Let's see, what's tomorrow? Monday? So I'll be back here for another 1% with him and uh, we'll do a uh, assembly update. All right, have a good night, ladies and gentlemen.